right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, recorded this last night with Joel Damon and like five minutes into it, I was like, how do we not have this dude on pretty much every week? It's basically any question you'd want to ask a tour player, you can feel very comfortable asking him. We talk a lot about money, about the thoughts that go through your round. You know, would you play golf if you won the lottery? Like, would you still play professional golf? There's going to be, there's a lot in this. He put some really thoughtful answers into it. We really appreciate the time. Uh, I'm not going to delay much more to get into it. We've talked also a lot about them in recent weeks, months, years even. Uh, They are that much fun to use around the greens. The Jaws MD5 wedges, they are previously only available in like kind of that blingy chrome finish and a tour gray finish. You can now get them in the raw finish. It reduces the glare and has like the matte look that a lot of tour players look for. And not only that is the new finish available, there's a new grind. The T-grind has a higher center of gravity for a more controlled ball flight. Uh, one time we talked about Wesley Bryan giving some wedgeication instruction about and hitting a, a low checking shot with an open face. The T-grind is ideal for that kind of shot. So you can check out the Jaws MD5 Raw Wedges today at CallawayGolf.com. That's CallawayGolf.com to see the Jaws MD5 Raw Wedges. I have some on order. I cannot wait for them to arrive. Going to be using them here for our first real big trip that we've made this year coming up shortly. So on the subject of Callaway, shout out to listener Tanner Harley. Harley, I think I got that right, for picking up a Maverick driver. And in his words, not ours, he gained 10 to 20 yards on his XR driver. So sounds like you made the right choice, Tanner. And thank you very much for listening. Without any further delay, here is our episode with Joel Damon. I would be remiss if I didn't start this by saying, morning, Damon. <laughs> Are you in on that at all? Do you have any idea what well, we're doing? I don't know, that? but Tron is obviously from Damon Hack on the Golf Channel, right? Or golf, the, the morning golf thing. And uh... Well... The Gary Player thing? Are you familiar with it? I'm not. Okay, so it's a chamber. It's our favorite audio like clip ever. It's a Chambers Bay U.S. Open, and they, they uh, Gary Player comes on Morning Drive, and uh, they're just like, "Hey, good morning, Mr. Player. How are you?" And he just, "Good morning, Damon." And then for two straight minutes, he just lambasts the golf course, and we've watched it so many times that we just start conversing. We still, when we see each other in the morning, we say "Morning, Damon." So now when that we see Joel awesome. Damon. Okay, that's 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 our go-to. That so. makes okay. So it's Mr. Player uh, <laughs> saying hello to Damon Hack, not so much Damon. Correct. Now that I, now saying it and explaining it out loud, it sounds even dumber than I think. No, uh, but that's what makes the inside jokes with all your friends great. Yeah. Is this your first WGC by my count? It, it is. is my very first one. I uh, I slid in here uh, just barely on the world rankings. I uh, wasn't sure how it all shake out. So yeah, happy to be here. I love this golf course, Southwind. I think it's a good test, and it doesn't necessarily favor any particular play, uh, player. So uh, excited to be in the WGC and then uh, major next week. So a couple big weeks. Have you looked up what the minimum amount is that you're going to make this week? Of course I did. It's the first thing I did. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? I actually don't know. I'm pretty sure it's 30. It might be 35, but I think it's 30. Oh, that's low. That's lower than you. I, I guess they expanded the field. I thought it was going to be 40. So, I, I mean, disappointed. Uh, is a wrong word, but I immediately looked at what place it was to get a hundred thousand because uh, six digits is really fun. So uh, I think it's like twenty uh, second or twenty third, maybe. So we're we're shooting for top fifteen. That's our goal. Is it that different when you go to tee it up at a no cut event? Starting out on Thursday morning, does it feel completely different? 
Uh, I've only played in a couple. I played in the Asia Swing. Those are no cut, and I haven't played great. Um, I was just chatting actually with a couple of people, uh, my coach and caddy uh, over the weekend, and instead of like the golf term is normally like 36 holes, you try to make the cut, uh, you know, and you position yourself, and then it's you know 36 hole weekend where I think you can be really patient Thursday, Friday, knowing that you're not trying to track, you know, you're trying to chase down the cut, or if you get off to a bad start, you can just think that you have, you know. I have 63 holes left if I play bad first nine instead of, you know, I mean, oh, no, I'm behind the eight ball already. I got to get after it. I got to make this cut. You can just kind of be more patient and understanding of maybe getting off to a slow start and just knowing that you have the extra 36 holes regardless. That makes a lot of sense. You, uh, I mean, you've played, you've had a good run, I guess, in the last year or so since you've been on the pod. Has anything really been different or what's what's been the big uh, contributor to that? I just am kind of pouring over your strokes gain and stuff. It's you're remarkably consistent across all categories, uh, basically year to year. But in your mind, what's what's different? What's what's especially working for you? Yeah, I'm certainly I think my iron play this year has been up uh, two, two degrees. Always been OK, but my iron play this year has been a lot better. Um, I think I've just. Just a little more consistent. I haven't necessarily been, um, you know, you're always working on little things in your golf swing, but I've always been able to hit it okay. I, my wedges and chipping were better for a while. I think these, this, since quarantine, they, they haven't been so great. Uh, not practicing for three months is not a great idea, but I think that's slowed down. But for me also, I think the other side is just not freaking out when I see my name on the leaderboard. Like, I believe I'm supposed to be there now, and I expect myself to be there more often than not. So, you know, instead of just trying to hold on or, or just, you know, if I'm around the cut line now, I'm trying to, you know, get in the top 25 and then I'm trying to get in the top 20 and then top 10. So uh, doing that and just being more comfortable seeing my name on the board and, you know, having that freedom, I guess, is, has been good. Did you really not practice for three months? Well, practice, I no, I, I played plenty of golf. I played two or three times a week, but I didn't hit a shot on track, man, until the Monday of Colonial. Um, and I never saw my coach, never played a sober round of golf in three months <laughs> <laughs> so yeah well no that's not true there i played nine holes with a couple juniors uh during quarantine where i had to walk and that was the only time i didn't have at least one beverage <laughs> do you play better when you're uh, having some beverages i did shoot 58 uh that well, was that, yeah that was multiple uh i think we had you know a standard is is three or four on each nine um, so that's pretty standard for us at Mesa Country Club. Well, yeah, I was gonna say like a, a blackout is when you're, you know, you're taking it super deep. But if you're drinking while having a blackout, taking it deep, is that a right. double blackout? Yeah, anyway? I think so. Uh, there's definitely some browning out going on there. Uh, I, I do remember I kind of knew something cool was happening on the 17th hole. I actually drank some water. Um, that's pretty rare, but uh, I did. I, I actually like chugged a bottle of water on 17 and 18. And I was in the fairway at 18. I'm like, oh no, did I like ruin this whole thing by having water? Um, but obviously, I, I I didn't. Luckily, in the end. So I'm I'm guessing the the alcohol there is is one thing that separates it out. But I was curious in how you describe or define practice because even I, I would think you know when you're not in tournament week or whatnot, playing golf in some way is practicing. But I feel I seems like the way you just defined it is practice is different than playing. For me, it is. I don't spend a ton. Of, I'm not a rain rat, and I'm not going to go beat balls until my hands bleed, and I'm not going to work on a ton of things all the time. So I do work with my coach, Rob Rochelle. He's head of instruction at TPC Scottsdale. So when I'm, I'm there with him, I'm putting in two or three hours that is like solid. You know, we have data, we have TrackMan, or we have video, or whatever it is, or we're, we're really consciously working on things. But yeah, I mean, there's 
at Mesa where I play, it's, it's small, tree-lined, not real long. So drive, you have to hit driver accurate. And then you get to work a lot on your wedges. So for me, even though I'm not you know practicing per se, I still get to hit 10 or 12 wedges around, which is good practice for me, you know, and distance control and, and trying to do those things. So yeah, I mean, I guess I just find practice would be, you can practice play and I enjoy playing for, you know, a, a little bit of money, you know, you, you get a, a good Nassau game, something like that. And that's always fun. But for me, my practice is always done mostly with a coach and some feedback rather than just, you know, going and playing 18 holes. So do you take that the trackman out on your own and will work will you work on that on your own and and almost I never I have I was going to say I can't picture you operating that Yeah I actually don't really know how that well it's always kind of a if I'm setting it up luckily Gino my caddy uh, understands it better than me so he sets it up um, you know and we'll go through whatever you know I'm working on the distance troll or you know working on face and path or so yeah that's Gino sets it up or obviously I work with my coach and he has his and um, that's how we do it I don't know if I've ever really taken it out on my own to set it up I'm trying to think of how to ask this question about distance control and I hear I hear pros talk about that so often and I think it's just something that a lot of amateur golfers can't relate to that well. They have trouble hitting it the same distance with a lot of clubs. And yes. It's something that I'm just now starting to learn for myself personally how important it is. But I guess, can you explain your relationship with distance control when you started to realize how important it is and why it's something that you know pros are stressing like week in and week out whenever they get a chance to talk about uh, what they're working on that seems like something I hear all the time? Yeah, that's that's a good question, and I don't – I mean, anytime at the pro level, um, as you said, I think the, for, for me, the, the corn fairy was when I really realized I needed to be better, especially, and it's almost when it's firmer. When, when we say disc control, it doesn't mean that you're always trying to hit a hole high. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you're trying to land it five yards short. I think Muirfield is a great example of it because to make the courses more difficult, uh, Detroit, I haven't played there, but they just have old school, big round greens. They're mostly just round. Muirfield has offset greens and, you know, they're angled away from you a little bit. Like I think like the, the, the par three twelfth hole, obviously everyone talks about it. It's, I guess it's a lot like the one at the masters, the way that it's angled forces you to perfectly control your golf ball. Cause you're off by five yards, one way or another, you're probably making bogey or double. And so, uh, you know, you just have to be able to hit your spots and that's understanding that's like flying it lower sometimes in the wind, maybe hitting it higher fades or draws. You have to understand all of those little things. And maybe that takes off five yards on a shot. Or sometimes, you know, you're trying to get, get a couple more out of it. So uh, Muirfield super, it exposes you and it exposed me uh, back-to-back weeks of just not, I was struggling with my ball striking anyways. And then if you're mishitting it, then your distance control is bad. And then it's just going to really expose you like Muirfield, where I think Detroit, you can get away with it. Or, or a golf course like Detroit, where it's just big round greens, you can don't have to be as precise because your miss is still going to be on the green most of the time. And it's kind of an interesting uh, way to look at golf course, but Muirfield exposes almost every hole. You have to absolutely dial in, whether it's landing it short or you know using ridges or slopes or whatever it is. Uh, but it's just understanding exactly how far your ball is going to go. And obviously, the best like Tiger's the best ever at it. And you see, like I think Justin Thomas improved his wedges a ton the last couple of years. And watching him be able to hit different shots. I mean, uh, the the shot he hit into eighteen at Kapalua to get into the playoff. Like he was, he had like three different shots he could hit with the wind blowing and the slope of the green. And how to manage his spin and that conversation he had with his caddy Jimmy was awesome. And then for him to pull it off and hit it to five feet was was even better. But people just think it's hitting it whole high. And for pros, it's changing trajectory, uh, you know, maybe shaping it both ways, and um, you know, just trying to always land it, whatever you're you're trying to land it. 
Yeah, and I think it, you know, is something you see, like I've seen. I feel like we've seen with Rory a ton, just him hitting wedges that, you know, maybe in past years that he thinks is he's stuffed it and just is so confused as to how it goes long. And it, it, listening to JT talk about it on the he was on the uh, Earn Your Edge podcast with Cameron McCormick and Corey Lundberg, just talking about how he used TrackMan with wedges, and it was something I just never really thought of with like. Actually, you know, looking at RPMs, I always understood how that works with driver distance and getting the ball to carry and how you want it to spin. You know, you don't want it too spinny. You don't want it not spinny enough. But how he would, you know, a draw lob wedge from 72 yards might be different than like a cut sand wedge from 75 yards and learning how much those balls both spin is that like how granular you get with track man most guys yeah it is yeah especially at this level you know i'm starting to kind of creep towards that top 50 in the world and i'm starting to knock on the door a little more and that's just like just understanding little things a little more and just being a hair better i mean because you're not gonna it's like you're gonna gain a stroke like overnight you're just trying to get tens of strokes and even sometimes hundreds of strokes so with that is yes and that's what it's we pay attention to them like uh I actually switched wedges maybe a month ago, um, and it was getting, you know, my, my lob and sand wedge were getting, they weren't spinning as much. So we switched, they immediately skyrocketed back up. But with the new wedge, when they spin so much, they're going to come out lower, and they're going to spin more, so they're not going to fly as far. So now the ball's flying shorter and spinning more. So I have to consciously try to hit the, my wedges a little bit higher to bring the spin down, and that's also going to, you know, it's going to make it that kind of sit and stop where it is instead of like ripping, you know, see a lot of guys just ripping the ball 20 to 30 feet sometimes. And that's, um, you know, so it's understanding the spin on that. And it's like, yeah, when I hit this shot with my, or when I'm hitting them, you know, I'm hitting them well, or my stock one is spinning at, you know, let's say 8,500 or 9,000, uh, you know, and then knowing it's a back pin so I can hit the sandwich back there and hit it lower. Um, and it's still going to be able to stop, but it's, it's not going to spin as much, obviously. So, uh, I'm just scratching the surface on that. Um, it is something my coach is, is pretty good and pays attention to. Uh, we actually just talked about it. I just worked with him on Saturday. So uh, it was kind of interesting and in seeing that. And then, which is a whole nother level, which is kind of getting to fill probably is like Bermuda turf versus, you know, bent grass versus Poe and how it's all going to react differently and how the ball is going to play and the spin. And, you know, then you get into humidity versus hot dry versus, you know, cold weather. It's this whole like stuff that's a little beyond me. And I think we, most players just kind of know it intuitively by just kind of playing through the years but uh you know you get those guys with super details uh, i think of like phil and obviously dechambeau kind of has a lot of that stuff but uh yeah at the, at the best in the world and jt talking about that yeah i'm sure he's he understands it but it's not it's one thing to understand it's nothing to be able to do it and it's nothing to be able to do it on sunday under the pressure a quick break here to talk about what we've been talking about for the past several months to each other, and now we get to finally share it with you, our friends at Whoop. If you don't know what it is, it's a fitness wearable. It provides you personalized insights on performance on your sleep, how your body recovers, how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from your workouts and just the normal stressors of life. You've seen us probably wearing them in, in little videos we've done and whatnot. We got a chance to talk about it on the podcast about a week and a half ago. We are in love with this thing, maybe a little bit, a little bit obsessed. My my habits have changed greatly. I uh, it's great to have something that regulates your body and almost holds you a bit responsible and accountable. I'm getting to bed earlier. I'm kind of cutting out uh, my drinking nights just because I can see that my body struggles to recover uh, after a night of drinking. It drives my heart rate through the roof while I'm sleeping. It decreases my heart rate variability. All this information that I have about my body that I did not have maybe two months ago. Um, and as I'm starting to age a little bit, 
it helps to have somebody, something kind of guiding me along, coaching me through the day. They got strain coaches and sleep coaches, you know, designed to help you calculate your sleep needs. You know, how much sleep do you need to actually perform and peak very well in the next day? You can structure your week to peak and perform on certain days. So go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. Enter promo code no laying up. You save 15% off. And to clarify some questions, that's 15% off the entire 18-month membership. So that is huge, huge savings. It's not just for the first month. So again, 18 months of savings, 15% off using promo code no laying up at whoop.com. Let's get back to Joel Damon. Well, what is your relationship been like with statistics? You talked about, you know, tens of strokes, hundreds of strokes. Is that kind of walk us through what that learning curve has looked like when that started to click with you and kind of what you are still learning and picking up on as you go along? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a hot topic. Mister, I actually worked with Mr. Scott Fawcett and un- learned his decade um, stuff, which I, I agree with. I think understanding where the you know, your, your actual pattern of golf shots, when you hit 10 shots or 20 shots, what the actual result is instead of just a one shot. And I think that helped me out a ton. And obviously you say play conservative or play to the fat side of the green. You know, my dad taught me that right when I'm 10 years old. So like sometimes you do it, but it's another thing to actually have like why you're doing it. Like Gino's really dialed in with everything and goes, Hey, we're going six left of this. And it's like, okay, so we just pick a target that's six left, but we know we're going there because there's a bunker there. There's a water instead of just aiming you know, left of the hole. Now there's a why for it. And that's helped me out a ton. Um, I have, you know, kind of massaged it a bit myself. I've worked with uh, golf IQ is another one, John Rehorn. I've worked with a lot. He's a head coach at Oregon state and he does a lot of my stats now and we work on that stuff. And he's, you know, so there's maybe sometimes it's instead of having a 40 foot putt that's downhill, maybe it's, even, you can attack the pin because you are just going to be chipping back up the hill and it's an easier chip. Um, so we've done a little bit of those things, but for me, mini tours in Canada, I was doing that for five or six years. I got, you know, when you're playing well, you get away with it. But as soon as you get, you know, for me as a corn fairy, like there's just weeks I couldn't get away with it. I know those courses are even easier. So then the rookie year out here, I was exposed for just not understanding, not where to miss, but just understanding why I'm hitting shots and, and being safe and understanding pars are okay. So that whole thing. And then uh, every one of my metrics the last four years has gotten better. Uh, I mean, putting's still not great, but it's improving in the areas slowly but surely. Um, everything has just gotten slightly better. That's something we always pay attention to. And there's a lot of guys out there from Richie Three Jack does his whole um, he does a whole golf book at the end of the year. It's just fun to look at. And Data Golf is something that we kind of dove into. So I've I've, I've looked at it all through the years um, and just kind of understand where I need to be. And it's pretty understandable. I need to chip and putt better. It's kind of, and then we look at course by course, like Southwind this week, TBC should be a good golf course for me. Hilton Head, Colonial, those travelers, those golf courses aren't nearly bombers paradise. And so they favor me a little bit. So it's, yeah, we, we look at everything week to week and try to pick out a game plan. Is it, I feel like whenever I'm really aiming conservatively with irons, at the end of the day, I end up with like a very, a score that I'm pretty, I'm very happy with, but also la- like a lack of gratification that comes with it. Like it, Certain, it feels a bit, a bit boring. Okay, am I onto something? Yeah, there? you're you're totally nailed it. And that's what's really hard, and it's hard to stay disciplined with it. It's like sometimes you know it just sets up perfect, you know, to take a little bit off the air and cut it in there. And if you pull it off, it's gonna, you know, you're gonna be inside of five six feet because it's perfect. But if you miss it you're probably going to, you know, you could make a bogey right away. So then you're really upset that you made yourself a bogey when you know you could just hit it over there and, you know, probably guaranteed a four. But I have a hard time transitioning when I'm home. 
with buddies, I go after every single pin. I, like, I don't care if I'm like slicing three woods out of trees. Like I'm just going to try to, I try to make every shot. So to come back out here and then be like, all right, super patient. Uh, but then also let's say you're hitting the ball really well and you are hitting it to 20 feet all the time. Cause you're, you're actually hitting your target instead of, and then all of a sudden you try to creep one over towards the pin or you try to hold it or you try to hit something you like, and then you make a bogey and you're frustrated there. But, or you, you hit it at your target all day, 20 feet, and you're mad because you should be aiming at the pin all day. It's just, it's a constant battle. It's really hard for me to not try to kind of like on the downswing, like, oh, I'm going to fade it two yards, just get it closer to the hole. Like, that's not how that works. You just pick your target, you hit it, and you hope that, you know, over the course of 72 holes, it's going to work out for you. And um, it's a great way, I think, like Charles Howell, you know, just top 10, top 20, nice coocher. Like they'll just pick it apart and they're really good at being patient where I don't have that patience and I just want to make a birdie on every hole. Is it something that you, I mean, on top of like all the data and everything, is it something you can really see in other people that you play with? Just like he's he's cutting a shot off me there. He's cutting a, you know, or, you know, two tenths of a shot off of me there. Is it, is it something that's noticeable to you? Yeah. So I try not to look into that because anytime I play with a guy who hits it long and straight, well, I'm like, that's like, this is miserable. So I got to like beat him some other way, but you know, putting is a great equalizer. So I look at it a lot of times. I think uh, for there's the second hole at Sony in Hawaii is kind of a tough driving hole, and it's a really weird one. Like the water jets in at two different parts, and you see so many guys hit a three wood. You either have to hit hybrid short of the first one, or you hit driver over it. And you see so many guys know it's probably not a driver hole, so they grab three wood and they fly it right in the lake. Where if they hit hybrid, they'd be short of it. If they hit driver, they'd fly that little part. And so Gino and I, we just look at each other sometimes, like especially younger guys out here maybe don't have like a great caddy or don't clearly don't think maybe the way that, that some of the best ones do. You just watch them just make mental error after mental error. And you're like, how, how can you ask? You just pulled that. You pulled the wrong club knowing you just know where it's going to go. It's going in the water for sure when you pulled that. So, and it's interesting to watch caddy and players talk about, you know, you, you'll have a, a caddy like, yeah, we can go right at this one. And I'm like, why are you aiming at this pin? Like, there's no way you can aim at this pin. And you see it from a lot of younger guys, and I was that way, I'm sure. I'm sure people laughed at me and Gino for a while, but we're pretty sound in our decision-making. He's he's really good. He doesn't let emotion get involved. He just caddies, and he just uh, does it, and I somehow find a way to screw it up eventually through 72 holes. But I don't know. That's part of the fun, and that's I'm getting better at it. The better I am, uh, you know, honestly, with the more money I make, the more freedom I have to – you know, maybe do some of those things or it gives me freedom to that. I can just kind of over 70 goals. I'm going to be okay with it. So just playing better at like it all loops into one thing of just being patient and trying to do what you're supposed to do. But at the same time, that is probably the hardest thing about golf. Like you watch DeChambeau, he didn't really care. So he'd whack three balls out of bounds, like super entertaining, but he would never do it if he was like around the lead. But um, just really interesting to watch people do it different ways, I guess. What sense can you make of, of what, you know, Bryson has done during quarantine? And does it, I mean, you guys have very different playing styles, but does it re, re, make you rethink the game at all, your game, or what you think the future of the game looks like at all? Yeah, it's it's certainly, uh, I don't know if he had to put on the weight to swing faster. Like, people forget, like, he could already hit the golf ball really far. This isn't, like, some random thing. And I think he probably, I mean, you see other guys who bomb it, like, None of them like are putting on crazy weights. I don't know if he had to do it. Um, I respect what he's doing because he's outside the box and it's working for him. But you have to understand, like the thing that I, I think people don't realize, he led the field. He had the best putting week of his career in Detroit when he won. Yeah, he drove it everywhere, 
and he bombed it and it was cool, but his wedges were average and he made everything. Is the game already training that way? Of course it was with all the bombers. Do I, I wish that, I don't know, what, what was Max's tweet? He tweeted, uh, make fairways great again or something like that. And I, uh, <laughs> then he like got off Twitter. For right. A while exactly. That was just so much, but, uh, I think Mirfield is a great example. Rough was pretty gnarly and the greens were fast and firm and that's all you need. And any golf course becomes super difficult. But the problem is people don't understand is a lot of times it's going to rain or, you know, mother nature is a huge deal with it. So if you have wind and sun, it's going to dry it out. But I may be for by maybe one golf ball for everybody. That'd be an interesting take. Every other sport has one ball. I don't know the logistics behind that. You know, companies are going to lose so much money doing that. So I don't know how that would look, but I think it'd certainly be something to explore down the road. Uh, the long players are still going to be the longest, but it's, you know, maybe make the ball spin more, make it curve more if you miss hit it. So I'm certainly uh, a little more old school like that, but I appreciate guys. I think hitting it far is a skill. So, um, I have thought about maybe going down that road a little bit, but I also have so many things in my, if my putting and wedges and chipping improve, I hit it good enough to be top 30 in the world. So if I just improve on those things to get them to two or average, then I'm going to be right where I want to be. So I have thought about it, but I think I'm just going to, I hit it just long enough to be competitive. Yeah, I was not going to suggest it. It's like the the biggest cautionary tale, and the reason why I keep asking everyone about it is like it is that ridiculous to have gained that much speed and distance in such a short period of time and do it that accurately. Yeah, so somebody posted, and I don't know how you know everything on Twitter. Um, somebody believes it, I guess, but most straight players who gain distance still maintain most of their accuracy, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I mean for. To do it that Which quickly, you're, you're like, not a bomber. Sorry, you're not a bomber, but like you gain shots on the field off the tee, like consistently right. year over and year. I what I the reason that is is because let's say a lot of guys will hit a two iron or a hybrid to 150. I'll push my driver down to 100 yards, or you know maybe they hit three wood and I hit my driver next to their three wood. So I hit driver way more often than most other guys. It doesn't mean I'm not necessarily hitting a past them, but there's going to be a lot of points on uh, around this week where guys are going to be like hitting less club off the tee and I'm just going to help driver because it's my straightest club in my bag. It's straighter than my three wood or my hybrid. So I'm just going to push it down there a little bit further than most guys, um, on, on shorter holes, I guess. Um, you know, par fives are obviously they're, they're, they're long par fours where everyone's bombing it, but I'll be gaining strokes because I hit it pretty straight and I hit driver more often than everybody else. If you could rig course setups to fit your style of play the best, what would what would a course setup look like? Again, this is unrealistic, but this is you get to set up the course so that you would succeed the best. What would it look like? Yeah, I think uh, firm and fast. I don't necessarily like long rough because everyone's going to hit it in the rough, and if they hit it in the rough, uh, you know, fifty yards close to the green, that doesn't really work great for me. But firm and fast, where you have to control where the ball still could roll in the rough, I guess. Like, I played well at Riv this year. It was firm and fast there. Bay Hill was crazy over the weekend. I kind of enjoy those two. I mean, I think of myself like a British Open, like be able to flight the ball low, control it on the ground a little bit more, control the flight. I really like the idea of that. So I would go nothing like crazy narrow. You don't have to go Hilton Head or Colonial narrow, but I would uh, long rough, not too long, I guess, just just enough to be penal, and then uh, firm and fast with small greens. That just makes everything, I don't care who you are, it makes it really hard to, to you know, you have to hit two good shots. You can't just wail away off the tee and then, then hit another one. So with, with the firm greens, small greens preferably, um, that just makes it that much tougher. And then separate question, if you could rig setups that would create the most entertaining 
television product? What would that look like? It would be a lot of short par threes with trouble all around. Short par fours that make you think, you know, you can't just blast it anywhere around the green. But I think the best holes in the world are short par threes and short par fours are the most memorable. Par fives, like I think I think every par five should be very generous off the tee and they should be now most people can all get there. They should be very difficult in the greens and most par fives are. I think we need shorter par threes. There's no reason we need to be playing 225 par threes. That's just dumb. Like that's lame. Because then the most time there's nothing around the greens. They're just kind of, you know, if you whack it up there somewhere, you can most likely have an easy up and down. It's even dumber when you have 225 with like water and deep bunkers and that's just ridiculous. So uh, See, I, I'd say though, if with the current driving, with how often guys are hitting wedges into par fours, the, that's the reason you need the two twenty five par par threes now. Is so you're at least testing your long least, irons. Yeah, and that's whatnot. fair. I would say test. You could test the long irons into the par fives. Is basically what's happening now, but make yeah. the par fives brutal on that second shot. So I love short par threes with with crazy stuff around the greens, uh, and short par fours with like drive. I mean, that's there's nothing more fun than trying to drive a par four. I think that's or the second shot in a par five. So that'd be super entertaining. And it would still, you know, show everybody could be able to do. It. I think the 15th hole of Travelers is incredible. Um, I there know you we guys, go. I knew you this was coming. <laughs> you guys don't like the, the, the rough there, but it would be too penal, maybe. I think you would see too many guys lay up. They would have to, if they soften the left edge a hair and no rough, I would be okay with that. I even flew a ball in the rough that plugged, and I'm like, this is ridiculous that it stayed up. But, um, also I saw too many good shots that were actually like at one point, you know, middle ish of the green that had a little too much speed and would almost go in the water. And like, that would just be too penal, but I think it's a great hole. My take on that was basically like, like you're saying it, it would change the decision-making process. And that's the whole point. As of right now, it's, you know, it's full send for everyone in the field. Maybe there was like a couple layups, but almost everyone is full send. Whereas, when they moved the tee up on 14 at Mirafield Village, that was a true decision coming down the stretch. And for a lot of guys, it wasn't. It was an easy layup. But like watching Colin Morikawa pull driver in the final round of, at the at the workday, and you know putting it, th- threading an eight yard gap was like way more interesting than just like everyone sending one. That was my I totally uh, yeah. I, I agree with that as well. Every yeah, I guess it. I mean, at, at Travelers is basically a long par three because everyone's hitting most most people are hitting three woods so. Um, but it's just so tough around the greens to hit precise up and downs and you can get in a bad spot where I think if they even just took the water out of play at, and just whatever, there was no water there, it would still be, it would almost be a better hole. I think so you can make it Mm. because now, and you make it more of a, a big collection area over there and maybe some mounding or something, but now everyone's going, but now the short game, all that matters cause you can almost very rarely do you actually get it on the green. So it'd be very entertaining for the shots around the greens. Um, which I, is more fun. I'd be down with that. Yeah, if balls are rolling way down there and yeah, you, you got to chip off short grass to a elevated green like that, that's yeah. no fun. I mean, you don't want to be down there. That's right, punishment. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you'd just be trying to get the knocks on the green, which I think is would be more, it would make the hole better, I think, than other than water. Because most of them just hit in the water, you take your drop, you chip up, you most of them you make five. Where you could really see some numbers if there's a you know a steep slope you're trying to clip one of. If you're trying to hit a, a risky shot for birdie, that'd be fun but it could roll back down your feet, which would also be awesome. That'd be very fun and entertaining. What was it like playing the same golf course uh, two weeks in a row? I like Muirfield. I should play well there. Um, I haven't yet. I don't know why, but, well, distance control for me, it just hasn't been great, and it exposed me into the greens. But everyone says those fairways are wide, and they're not that wide. 
for a guy who flies at 280, 285, if you fly at 300, you could take a lot of the corners and a lot of bunkers out of play, or even, you know, now it's 310, 315. So that changes a ton. Uh, so the fairways just aren't that wide. Um, and the par fives are a little goofy, but I think it's, uh, I enjoyed it, especially because amazingly the, the setup did change quite a bit. It went from soft, you know, and kind of mushy to, you know, and, what, and obviously mother nature helped us out a ton on, on Sunday with the wind blowing, but to get it that firm and fast, for a couple of days was a ton of fun and I was pretty impressed with it. I mean, I think they could do it. There's not too many courses they would do it because you have to have sub air and you would have to have so many things go your, in your favor, but I didn't mind it at all. And Mirfield was a good spot for it. Mirfield Village seems about, and I said this on the pod last week, but about pretty much the best or one of the best execution tests on the PGA Tour in that there is so much shot value and kind of what you're talking about with wide fairways there or not being wide fairways is that like you got to be straight off those tees. You if you miss in the rough there, you are paying a price. And there's a lot of golf courses where it feels like missing just barely in the rough isn't a lot of penalty. Whereas at Muirfield Village, it's like if you're doing that on repeat, you're losing some of those tens of strokes that we were talking about. Absolutely. And, you know, it could be if you're on the wrong side of the fairway, it's then you can't even hit the green. So then you're trying to get your next one in position to maybe have an up and down. And the other thing that I don't know if it was talked enough, then maybe it was, I didn't uh, listen to the broadcast too much, but the bunkers are really deep off the tee. So a lot of times you're not going to be able to get to the green. And then all the bunkers around the greens are so steep and they're, they all, the ball rolls almost always to the downslope of the bunker or to the flat spot. You almost never have an uphill bunker shot. And so that's what makes it so difficult uh, and so great. I think around Millfield for B like if you hit, if you hit good golf shots, you can use the slopes and you get the ball close to the hole. But if you miss a little bit on one of those slopes, you're almost always making bogey. It's a great golf course, and I think that's why you see so many great players win there consistently. You know, you don't have too many flukes showing up and winning at, at Mirfield. Yeah, they've messed with those bunkers so much over the years. And then that was famously where they went to the wide cone right. to try to give guys <laughs> bad lies. And Jack's always been burying those bunkers deeper and deeper, which, you know, if it, it's, I, I would say bunker shots on tour are pretty much not always straightforward, but are not what you guys would view as difficult golf shots. Overall. Yeah. Well, a lot Is of times we root for the ball to go in the bunker. Like right. you can control it out of there. The sand's nearly perfect every week. That's very consistent for us. So especially par fives, like, you know, if you can get some bad spots, like, Oh, we'll just sit in the bunker and you'll almost always get inside of eight feet unless, you know, especially if you're a decent bunker player. So yeah, most of the time we're just used to, Oh, it's in a bunker. It's not that big of a deal. You just splash it out. Um, but Mirfield definitely penalizes the bunkers. Can we talk about it? It's going to get changed. So are we allowed to talk about how bad the 16th hole is at Mirfield Village? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting. I heard Jack was telling somebody uh, over lunch that when they redid it, something with the soil and something happened where it doesn't hold any water. No matter how much water they put on it, it just doesn't hold it. I don't know if it was – it might have been Thursday. There's a back pin, and it's straight downwind, and I – think less than 10 people hit the green or maybe 12 or 13 people hit the green out of 132 guys or whatever the field was like it was just it's absolutely comical it's just too severe it, it's too long so i the 70th hole at uh wells fargo they took out the back tee and i think they made it like 180 for its longest which is great because the greens it's big but there's enough slope on it and it all slopes towards the water where mirrorfield they could give us a a hundred the drop zone shot i hit it in there on the water on sunday i had 100 yards left to the pin i'm like i have no idea how i'm going to get this close from 100 yards so they could make that thing a 100 yard hole and almost be better than 
from whatever we played it at 200 yards at times. And I might have this wrong. I think people, a couple people were tweeting at us. Did, did you get paired with Sun Kang on the on the weekend at, at uh, the charity open? We were on pace for it, and Mr. Sepp Straka shot like 45 on the back nine to swoop in and clip Mr. Kang. So uh, that would have been, that was our closest uh, time to potentially uh, hanging out again for 18 holes. The tour has done a very good job of keeping us uh so he won so he's already in a different category um but he is almost always opposite side of the draw so even if we do tie over the first two days it's pretty rare we'd be paired together i'm sure it's a very conscious thing the first year um they try to keep i think people don't realize that the pairings are actually hand done uh, obviously there's groups and there's categories but uh you can't go in the same you can't have like a morning and afternoon wave more than two weeks in a row maybe you can go three weeks but you can't do four so they're going to flip-flop you there, and then you know they shuffle you through the category. So I know there's one player for sure who has been complained about so much, and my buddy kept getting paired with him like way too often in the first two rounds. And he finally called him up. He's like, what's going on? He's like, almost everybody else in the category has complained about playing with this fellow. And so he's like, there's only so many people left that we could pair him with often because he was complaining, which is pretty funny actually well this pod's gonna get cut about 30 minutes short because i'm gonna i can't wait to find out who that name is (laughs) yeah uh so it's pretty funny how that happens but uh obviously i haven't seen mr king much we didn't have a relationship before and we don't have one now which is just fine well remind me i might get this wrong also but you got the uh an open championship spot at bay hill is that right correct in thanks in part to a three putt he had coming down the stretch that is potentially true i might have been in a locker room having a cocktail when it happened Uh, uh yeah it was uh, yeah i mean i was you know rude against anybody but i was certainly happy to get my open spot is that is that transferable to next year for sure it is yeah they've uh, already locked it in so it's, it's very cool so john rom said something not to keep harping on Mirfield village but after it was on it was in a post-round interview shortly after the round he had just shot 68 on that Saturday at Memorial, and he had said, you know, a, you know, a scratch player wouldn't break 90 out here. And then he said four scratch players would not have broken par in a scramble at Muirfield Village. What do you think of that statement? That is so wrong. Um, okay, good. <laughs> people don't realize, like, so Gino, my caddy, is a scratch golfer. He's a good player, obviously. Scratches are great players. but In his own right? In his own right. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if Nance or... Uh, Ian Baker's quite called him out yet. I need to play better for him to do that. But uh, it's funny because he would, if he had four shots on every hole, like there's, he would, he would maybe make one bogey in 72 holes and he would make five or six birdies a day and he would never lose a PJ tournament. He would touch a major when it's even harder. Like he would shoot 66 every day and cruise around and be, and maybe he had a bad day. He shot seven, but you're going to give this guy four putts. Like a scratch golfer from 20 feet after at four putts, like he's going to start sniffing a lot of those. And you almost never miss inside of 10 feet. And a scratch player is going to three putt every now and then from 20 feet in normal format. And right. That, that's the thing is both of these things can be true, that the gap between top level tour pro and scratch is enormous. Right. And the, it would get exposed in a 72 hole stroke play event. But a scramble, like you said, is just such an easy, incredibly easy format that it just blows my mind when some of these things get discussed. But, I you know. totally agree. And it's, I know, was it 08 Tory Pines when they had like four randoms play like ahead of time? Like they, I think maybe they had Roethlisberger play, but they had a couple like random, you know, maybe Golf Digest did something where like an eight handicap played and a scratch and a 20 played or something like that. But I, every week, Gino, 
it's he's he's funny. He plays an imaginary round of golf almost every day in his head. And uh, he manages to always shoot a couple under par. And I'm like, man, you are so good. And then we'll go play like down the road. And it's kind of a harder golf. Maybe shoot 75, 76. And I was like, Gino, how are you always shooting in the 60s on every tour setup? But uh, you can't quite, you know, get her done um, when, when we're, we're actually paired together. But I wish that every Monday there should be a couple local people get to play the same setup that we played on Monday. And, you know, no laying up can broadcast it. Like, it would be incredible to watch. You get the club champion, you know, you get another guy who's spouting off who thinks he's good, and then you throw in a nine handicap and maybe in an 18 handicap, and you just watch them just most of the time shoot a million. But also, then you could switch it up and just do, hey, four-man scramble, go play on Monday, and they would do just fine. What do you play off of at home when you're playing games? Plus five. Uh, there's five par fives at Mesa, so I played a plus five. I try to negotiate to a plus four with the most courses i a lot of in the game sometimes you have to give back strokes on the easiest hole so and they're always par threes and i'm like this is ridiculous that i have to give like three back on these par threes where we're hitting a wedge so i i try to negotiate the par fives i should make birdie there and then maybe if there's a drivable hole i'll maybe take another one there so four or five is typically what i'm at what uh, so what is it? What's it been like playing on tour in this in this COVID or return to golf uh, compared to everything before? What's obviously we know like what the differences are, no fans, but what's what's it been like for you? What's what's your experience been like? It's been really good for the most part. I was I wouldn't say concerned, but I was like, I wonder how this is all going to go down. There's just so many moving parts, and we're traveling all over the country, and the tour has done an absolutely incredible job. I don't know, maybe we've had seven, maybe eight positive tests out of whatever, how many, that's pretty good. Most of those are linked back. You can check that those guys went home in between events or took a week off and came back. So the bubbles, quote unquote, the bubble is super safe. I, one thing I love about tour is just hanging out with the guys, right? And you're just kind of like always hanging out and maybe just having lunch or just kind of BSing on the range and stuff. That just doesn't happen quite as much. Obviously, we're trying to social distance and we're trying to uh, – I miss going to dinner all the time. Like, I love eating good food. and I love sharing a cocktail in the evenings. And I hang out with quite a few different people. So it's fun to, you know, meet new guys. And I miss doing that for three months, obviously, during quarantine. And then when we came back, Hartford was really tough because I've, I've rented a house every other week. So it's been okay. We can get by and cook on meals or you can have multiple people in the house. But Hartford, I was sitting in the hotel room for a week. It was the, it was the third week in a row and I was just miserable. I'm like, I'm never doing a hotel again during this quarantine time. It's been tough. Cause I, I, I just like hanging out with people. I like BSing at dinners and going out to dinner, like trying new foods at like, you know, local places as well. Especially here in Memphis this week, they have a couple incredible barbecue spots that, you know, you can get a takeout, but it's just not the same after you get it and you take it home 20 minutes later. So that part has been tough for me. And I think tough for a lot of guys, but been impressed overall with it. And pretty, you know, impressed with, with what the tour has been able to do and the whole process of it all. Have you seen an evolution in how, you know, the tour has handled things and how players have handled things from week one to some of the more recent weeks on tour? Yeah, clearly there was a couple things that needed adjusted in the protocols from, from colonial. And I think they, they did a good job of that kind of nipping it in the butt early. And, you know, we all knew there'd be growing pains. No one's, we haven't been through this before, but pretty happy with, with the, the, the quick changes. Obviously, maybe some of those looked like they should have been, um, like, how would you not have that a rule at the beginning type of a thing? Like, how could you miss that? But with that, I think the players, the first week, we were a little willy-nilly, probably. Definitely not taking it as seriously. 
I don't think any of us are really afraid of actually getting sick, right? I think this is proven that if you're young and healthy, you can, you'll be sick or, you know, you'll get through it most of the time. But we just don't want to miss two weeks, especially this time of year. We have WGC in a major and then the playoffs coming up. And you can't afford to miss two weeks right now. So people are taking it more and more serious as a time on of the mask wearing, really not touching each other and really separating. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, if I, if I miss two weeks right now, I kind of ruined my season. Like I don't have a chance of making, you know, East Lake. I don't have uh, you know, a chance competing in these big events. So I think you've seen more people just more concerned about that uh, towards it, which is, it's been good, but yeah, I mean, I think ever, I think the entire world's sick of this whole thing. You know, we want it over. We want it to go quote unquote back to normal, uh, you know, kind of whatever that means. But um, I've seen the players definitely from week one to now, everyone's done a, a pretty good job of following all the rules. And um, you just try to, you, I always say you just try not to be the asshole that gets sick. So you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be the guy. So you just follow all the rules and uh, hopefully you don't get it. Well, how, how would you say, you know, this has affected you overall in terms of, you know, there's been different effects, right? I mean, the Corn Ferry guys have no chance to make the PGA Tour this year. Where do you kind of net out on this where, you know, do you feel like you're getting screwed out of anything in particular or or things didn't fall out great for you? Or do you think things fell out great for you for someone at your level? How do you view overall how, uh, you know, I don't want to say benefit. Nobody's like benefiting from this, but how things have shook out for you specifically. I would say that it probably benefited me this year. I played well, pretty well, especially uh, right before COVID hit. So I was may I was around 30th on the FedEx Cup, I think. And when you take away 10 or 12 events or whatever it was, that just shortens like instead of you know having a longer. I didn't have events to obviously I could have played well or could have you know done great in those 12 events you missed, but also it just shortened the number for me to get to the Tour Championship or to stay close to the 30 or you know stay in that top 50 or world ranking points, like all of those, I didn't have an option to go backwards, I guess, um, which I kind of the spot I was at was great. Obviously you always want to have potential to go forward and you want to do those things. But for me, it worked out great. It just shortened the ability most for a lot of guys to catch up to me, I guess, because I got off to a fast start. So it just, they didn't have as much time to catch up um, how I put it. So if you played well early in the year, that's great. Like Nick Taylor, I'm not sure where he is on the FedEx Cup, but I think he's probably around 20 ish right now or like, for a guy like that who's trying to make it to the tour championship for the first time, for him to win early and play well, like that's huge that all those guys didn't have as many events to win and catch up and take him on. Same like Streelman. Streelman's played great and he's, you know, I think he's almost locked up tour championship thing. Where twelve more events, he would have to play, you know, a great for another two or three events to lock his guard up, uh, to lock up the tour championship. So kind of depends where you're at. I mean, now if you're on the bottom end, you know, I have somebody who who've really struggled this year. And they're like, man, that totally kind of screwed me. Like I needed every event possible to to have that one week where I played well or, or multiple weeks. So for me, I think I netted out on the positive side of it. I realized I could probably be retired. I'm really good at doing nothing. I love playing golf with my buddies at home. Like that's, I almost enjoy it more than, I certainly enjoy it more than Tuesday, Wednesdays out here. Obviously the competition um, and playing, um, you know, teeing up on Thursday is great, but I just love golf with the buddies and, and playing some music and hanging out and, um, enjoy that aspect of it all. So for me, I netted out positive. I could be retired if I hit the lottery tomorrow. That'd be great. Um, I don't know if I'd actually play golf. I might just do other things. I wouldn't play golf on tour anymore. I don't think so. I figured that out. So would you? Like, would you say you are you, you do play golf for the money then? A hundred percent. I have always said if I could make this much money doing something else, I would do it. Interesting. I don't enjoy traveling that much. 
and I really enjoyed, I, I love competition though. So, but I could just find that and, you know, at home with some of my buddies and that'd be enough. And I don't know what else I would do, but I definitely play golf for the money. I respect someone that will say that. I think that's, I guess that's a better question. Is that something you think a lot of guys would, uh, could say on tour, but maybe aren't willing to say? Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's why like on Sunday evenings, we always talk about how much money we made that week. Oh man, great. You know, what Max make like two fifty and change or something like that. Like that's a huge deal. Like that's a lot of money and that's awesome. Obviously guys, and they say they want to play for trophies. Yeah. I want to win too. You know what else comes with a win? A million dollar check. Like that's what I want. Like I don't want a trophy. You like give me the check. Uh, <laughs> so like, and it's so much fun to compete. Like that's that's what you know. And most time in golf, you're competing against yourself. It's kind of interesting to think about. The more I compete against myself, the better I do instead of worrying about the leaderboard. But that's a whole other story. But yeah, well, it, it's it's a. I mean, like I, I, I've said this a million times in this pod, but lifestyle wise wise at least you know when i was a very casual fan i would look at it and be like this is the greatest life in the world oh my god this is amazing i would love to be a tour pro the more i've seen of it it's like dude it is stressful and sure if you do pretty well you know the money's pretty great but you know when it's even when it's not going great and you got a ton of money like you're away from home for a long period of time and it's kind of lonely at times and i don't know do you feel any of that is that kind of what contributes to saying you saying like you wouldn't play if it wasn't for yeah exactly and i don't i don't want anybody misconstrued that i'm ungrateful that i'm you know don't think i mean what we get to do is awesome like we get to play the best golfers we travel which is great i just i'm kind of a homebody like i enjoy being home like uh, i don't have kids yet but uh you know hopefully we have a family we can start a family soon like i would love that now you can travel with them on the road i know we can do all that but it's really hard like i mean i have a dog that i'm in love with and i have to leave him for two weeks and like that sucks like i can't imagine like seeing your kid like chase after you in the driveway and say like daddy don't go like that's so hard now the upside is incredible we only work half the time um, you know, and we make a ton of money, but the stress is really high and the stress on people around you is really high. Like my wife, she worked two jobs when I was on the mini tours to pay her rent. Like I had zero dollars. She was working two jobs. At one point she had three and she's, she really has no control over this. And so that's really hard for her. And it's been great for the last couple of years, but there's a lot of lean times in between that weren't so pretty. And, you know, you think a guy like Michael Thompson, who won early in his career, kind of struggled in the middle. I think he actually had to go back to web finals at one time. Um, you know, that whole struggle. So like, that's, yeah, it's incredible. And he's always kind of kept his card and, and, and got by, but there was a lot of stressful times, I guarantee you in that house for him. And it's just, I mean, that's, I guess that's what makes this game so great is, is seeing it on the back end. But yeah, I think I challenge people This comes across wrong. Uh, I don't know how, but you know, an average fan came out for a week, they'd be absolutely exhausted at the end of the week. And then be like, okay, get on a plane. We're doing it next week. Get on a plane. We're doing it next week. Like they just can't fathom how taxing it is to go through a week and like really grind on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, you know, and competition, you're out there for five hours and people just don't understand the mental toll it takes on you. Obviously almost anybody can walk, but that also takes a toll on as well. And people just will never understand, especially week after week. And then I can't imagine guys are doing it for 10 to 15 years out here. I'm on year four and I'm like, wow, I can't believe, you know, I can do this for another 10 years type of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it to, especially when things don't go great. I imagine, even if it's not necessarily a miscut, but when you're not playing great, 
it's got to be so hard to not just want to like be on your couch at home, you know, almost immediately just like, Hey, take me home. I just want, I don't want to, I don't want to commute. I don't want to fly three different planes or whatever it takes me to get back home. I just want to be home right now. I think that's one of the most incredible things about Mr. Homa is how low he was, how high he was, how good of an amateur he was. He got off to a good start in his pro career and to go that hit rock bottom basically. And to come back to where he's at now, like people don't understand, like, getting up every day to go to the range to work on something and then like to every day get feedback that you suck like you stink you're not getting better at golf like that is so hard to do and i mean luckily i haven't had any like real slumps uh, i struggled obviously uh, multiple times but last week when uh, the fr- first week when i missed a cut at, at the work day uh, i shot 79.81 i'm like i don't know if i'm ever gonna break 80 again like it's just that's the game of golf and it's so hard but yeah, there, there's times when you aren't sure if you're ever going to break par again. How often? So, how often do you think about money when you are playing in a tour event? I used to think about it almost every shot, and uh, <laughs> luckily, that work out? <laughs> well, obviously not too well. And now that I'm, uh, I don't know, financially free is the right word, or you know, secure, I guess. Um, you're freed up. You're freed up completely. Uh, you, I don't have to worry about paying the mortgage or, or paying, you know, next week's grocery bill or whatever it is. So, um, that helps a ton. I do a really good job of not thinking about it until most of the time, the 72nd hole. Um, or sometimes if I'm not playing, if I'm kind of middle of the pack, and we got nine to play. I'm like, Gene, let's go, man. Like, let's like while off like three or four breeze and go, let's go make ourselves 50 grand right here. Or if it's, you know, you're really struggling and you're kind of back of the pack, it's like, all right, every birdie you make, that's $100. The next one's 250 The next one's 1000 And the next one's like 5000 You start thinking of little ways, like that's what motivates me when I things aren't going so great. Obviously, when you're in the top five or top ten, you don't worry about it. You're just trying to play great golf. But um, it's, a, it's a great motivator when you have, you know, maybe nine holes to play. And, you know, if you shoot 32 or 33, you're going to make yourself an extra 25 to 50K. Like that's pretty fun. Have you followed the the PGL discussion at all or or thought about how that might potentially affect your career in any way? Well, I kind of thought it went away. Uh, And obviously, just this last week, it sounds like uh, eight or nine guys, uh, you know, kind of requested some info about it and kind of ramped back up. But I haven't. I've only watched one episode of the the, the Formula One, uh, <laughs> and I guess it's going to take on that same thing, right? Where you're going to have some owners and they're going to draft a team. And I'm like, let's say that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the edge probably of maybe being picked. That'd be a very fringe guy. It's like, I wonder if they, you know, I don't know if it's guaranteed money. I don't know. Like, would I do that? Like, it's interesting. I don't really know. I haven't followed enough about it, but it's be some, I would certainly entertain the idea of it. Like, if you're going to tell me I could play golf for money, like, I'm certainly going to take a peek into it. And it's certainly interesting. Uh, I know some of the Rory's like, I don't want somebody to tell me where I have to play and when I have to be there. Uh, which is the great thing about our our schedule now, but um, it'd be certainly I'm certainly interested in it. Absolutely. Where I come out on that is if if you know you're gonna make maybe four x what you're making, I think you could be where somebody wants you to be on certain days. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. It's it it's an interesting concept. I think uh, a lot of you know myself included. Of I think I got off on the wrong foot with a lot of people, and the more that comes out about it is uh, it's it's interesting to say the least, and that. I think golf being reimagined as far as how it's produced for entertainment is would be far from the worst thing in the world. Totally. And I think that you've even seen a change post quarantine. I think they've done a good job on a couple of things. And I know you guys are love to chat about that on the weekends, but, um, 
I don't know enough about it, but I do think, yeah, like there's plenty of tweaks they could do to, to, to make it better. And, um, and if that takes some other tour coming in and shaking things up, then albeit like, I mean, competition creates better things. So however, it, however it works out, um, I don't know, but certainly I'll be, I'll be following discussions closely for sure. What do you, as a tour player, what do you hear on the internet or from, from idiots like ourselves that just makes you shake your head or something that people out there just like maybe don't quite understand or, or struggle to, you know, get that, understand a concept. What, what, what comes to mind? The first one, well, the big one for a while was backstopping. <laughs> uh, okay. I agree that, uh, and I was maybe a little bit on Jimmy Walker's side. I think almost all the tour was, you know, when it first came out, it was like, yeah, like, I'm going to mark the ball for Sun Kang and maybe leave it for Max Helm, you know, fair. <laughs> uh, but I didn't really like just, it was brought to light and started like, Oh man, this is like a thing kind of actually. Yeah. You're like, okay. So now pretty conscious of making sure all balls are marked. And I think everybody's doing a great job of that. But through the comments, it'd be like, if he was good enough to hit the ball, why wouldn't you just hit the pin guys? It's not, that's not what it's about. And it would just drive me up a wall. And I think I probably sent out like 15, I think I just like drafted a tweet and I just hit like copy and paste to all these, like for like a week. And I realized that it didn't go anywhere. It didn't do anything. So I gave up on that one. But that one was to me, was like, yeah, no, we're not aiming at the other ball, but it's just like another backstop. And just some people just don't understand that. Or people don't understand, like they just think that, they think that pros never miss a golf shot. And I go, actually, we miss it more than we hit perfect, like exactly what we're trying to do. And people just don't, in short of land, just don't understand that. Like, it's very interesting to me that people just don't understand that pros miss golf shots. Plenty. Bad sometimes, too. Yes, but very bad. The idea, but the the thing that, you know, changes is you get to go hit the next one. When I hit a bad one, I've got to go hit the next one. So it's probably leading to bogey, where, you know, when you guys hit one horribly offline, it, it still takes some more bad shots to make bogey. Right. Sorry, you're going to say something. Well, I was going to say the uh, backstopping thing has been a fun one. I think Tron and I have been yelling at each other a little bit about it. But, and, oh, everybody's like, oh, when, when they come back and no fans, like, the scores are going to go way, you know, they're going to be way worse because, you know, who's not, they're going to find their ball and they're not going to be kicking balls back in the fairway. And I was like, this just happens so rarely. Like it's not a thing. And even there's been a couple times where they still have around like nine and 18 and some holes they'll have, you know, like a big basically signage of whatever it's at, you know, work day or, or whatever the, the, the main sponsor is. So you're still going to have some of that stuff, but obviously if they're not there, but we're not, we don't rarely Super rarely are we actually attempting to hit a ball in the grandstand. Yes, dude, a lot of times does the um, drop benefit us from where obviously the ball would have ended up, no grandstands, but that's just part of tour golf and that's what it is. So, But we don't aim for grandstands and try to bank them off of See, for that, for me, though, that's the same as the backstopping. You're not aiming for the ball either, but if it's a back pin and there is a grandstand you know, 10 yards behind that pin you're not as apprehensive to go at that flag if you know the ball can't go more than 10 yards over the green. You're correct if there's something back there. I just can't, like, there's so few times. The only time that I can think of where it was, like, a real thing was 18 at Sony when they redid the green. It's did a terrible redo, and the grandstand's right there because there's, you know, it's a small old school, but there's just no room. So all four days, we just banked a hybrid off the back, and I got up and down all four times. So uh, that was one. But, you know, there's some that we're not – yeah, if you do catch a flyer sometimes, it's nice that it banks into those, but we're not trying to hit it in right. a stance. 
But you know, a, a bumper is a good thing, even for for, for pros. Pros want to know where they can miss, right? And 100%. where they can't miss. Yeah, so, exactly. In that, like, and there were a couple I, I know at Schwab that, you know, balls that were ending up close to that putting green, guys coming into nine, that I'm like, whoa, that wouldn't have been there. If, or that wouldn't have ended up there if there was a grandstand or they might have got a drop out of it. So there it's was, not like, yep, it's not raising example. the scoring average two shots per right. round or something like that. that but it, yes it might play a factor from time to time. So there's a couple around for sure, but per tournament, I guess not per person. Uh, last one was raw. Was what happened to Rom on 16 at Memorial? Uh, was that a penalty? No, not at all. If that's a penalty, then that's going to happen a hundred times throughout the event. Did his ball move a dimple? Yes. Does the camera super close and, you know, zoomed in an HD. Like I just can't imagine you could see it with the naked eye. Especially, you know, when everyone's saying that he's matting down the grass by a nut. It's like his, everybody does it, which is fair, you know, you have the waggles and you're looking up at your target and you're doing all this stuff. Like, he's not like matting down the grass like DeChambeau was before his drop or Patrick Reed mashing down and all of a sudden magically hitting a three instead of a seven iron. Like, that's like happens on every single rough shot on every single shot that was hit for two weeks at Mirfield. But, and if that's the case, like if everybody had that same camera look on every shot, you would see it probably often. You just, to a naked eye, like you don't, and you're not always just staring at the golf ball, just mashing down the grass. Most of the time when the club hits the ground is when you're looking up at your target. That's just opening up a whole can of worms that I thought they actually fixed with that. There was some type of rule, right? That they, if you didn't see it with a naked eye, then it wasn't with a camera. You know, they, they can't call in or whatever it is anymore. So it's if it's not reasonable that you could have seen it with a naked eye. Right. And I just, like it's it's tough. I uh, gosh, I, it is a tough one, right? Because everyone that says you know it's a disadvantage to all the leaders and the zoomed in camera, like you know, not every shot is filmed. Blah blah blah. I agree with all that, but at the same time, the ball did move, and I and he caused it. So it's like, gosh, it'd be so it'd be harder if you made the rule that the ball is allowed to move a little bit. Like, how do you define that? Well, you're right. You know? and then you're opening up a whole can of worms of like, well, right. that's only a little bit. Like, well, what is a little bit? If his club never touched the ground, the ball wouldn't have moved. So he caused the ball to move. But I guess I, one big thing I wish that they would put into the rule book somewhere is did the player gain a competitive advantage? There's no way that Roms gained an advantage by doing by his ball moving. All these things could just be like, did he gain an advantage? No. Okay. Like it's kind of like the when they change the rule of, of a double chip or a double hit. Oh, we're not going to penalize you again because that ball is probably not going in a good spot anyways. So you didn't gain an advantage by doing this, so we're not going to penalize you anymore. And a lot of times it's like throughout the course of events, because a couple times things are happening, like, well, there's definitely no advantage gain. Like, and we don't, we wasn't sure if he broke a rule or not, or he wasn't sure this happened. So we should always default to no, no penalty, I think. Yeah, I think that'd be tough to define with that. But one one thing that's easy, I think it shouldn't be two shots. Like that is, yeah. it should be one. Like if it just counted like a stroke, if anything. I mean, that's. I would be okay with that. Then you could say your ball moved, and you hit it. Add one. Like okay, that's yeah. fine. I would say yeah. To like two strokes is like, like you almost. In- it's like he didn't. He clearly didn't intentionally do it. And I really don't think he had any idea his ball moved. I mean, it's just right. Too- no, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So. I just it's it's it is a tough situation. It's too bad because people have no idea how ridiculous really good that shot is. Like it's just so filthy. I disagree. Like it makes the shot even better. Like if he if it was a two shot penalty and that chips for bogey now, he needed that more than he realized. Right, but at the time I guess he didn't know that he was getting two shots. But that's true. Uh you know, if he'd be like if he was like, I think my ball moved, 
two stroke penalty. Oh crap. Now we're what's he one up and then he hoops it. Like that would be even more ridiculous, but people just, the way it landed so soft and just trickled in, it was, it's not like it like smoked the pen. Uh, all right, man, we'll let you get to it. I know it's a big couple of weeks for you. Best of luck. Uh, this was excellent, excellent stuff. We really appreciate you sharing some insights and, uh, be rooting for you this week and uh, out at Harding. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And um, we'll see you, see you guys down the road. Sounds good. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 